With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply a series drawn and earned retained the best men's ashes series in a decade is over. Smith transcends conditions, numbers, and sometimes physics. Cummins redefines consistency. Broad gets his trousers retailored to fit David Warner in his pocket. Stokes out Botham's Botham and out Flintoff's Flintoff. And Joffre shows a glimpse of England's future. We lord these and other heroes and look back on six weeks of thrilling test cricket. And Yalis or Nalis? We assess the legacy of England's outgoing head coach and ask who, singular or plural, should take the reins of this gloriously weird horse. This is the Gorilla Cricket Podcast 2019 Men's Ashes Review. Welcome to the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. We're recording on Monday the 16th of September 2019 on what would have been day five of the fifth test, but thanks to England's thumping victory at the Oval, is now the day after the six weeks before. I'm your host, Knuckle Impande, and I've convened Tim Part and Nigel the Bear Walker to pick the bones out of all of that. Welcome, friends. Hello. Afternoon. Where do we start? I mean... Uh, Let's start, I mean, with the very, very basics. The series was drawn to all. Australia won the first test at Edgbaston by 251 runs. The second test was drawn at uh, Lords. The third test, England won in ludicrous fashion by one wicket. Uh, the fourth test, Australia won by 185 runs at Old Trafford. And the final test at the Oval, England won by 135 runs. But those those numbers, you got three convincing victories uh, there don't really tell the full story of just how good and just how close that series was. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I've been trying to work out, you know, who, who, who'd who be happier, who deserved to win. Does any, do either of the teams deserve to win more? And as soon as I think up an argument in one direction, I think up an argument in the other. So you say, well, you know, England did really well. We lost four tosses. But then equally, you know, we had one massive get out of jail. Then you say, well, it's a game of runs and wickets. You score more runs, you deserve to win. And I, I'm, I'm still... I'm still mentally trying to come to terms with everything we've seen over the past few weeks. 
Yeah, I. You see, with my uh, heart um, glass half full, I'd say, well, actually, uh, thinking like Tim here, you know, the, the draw at Lords, you know, we would have won that, but for the rain. Uh, we were 15 overs away from saving it uh, at uh, wherever it was beforehand, and um, and we won two. Uh, we could have quite easily won three, and it would have been three one our way. However, when I look at it in a round, I think that uh, Australia probably played better. So that's weird. Yeah, Australia probably did play better for longer, I think, uh, than than England did through the series. England had moments, uh, not moments. I mean, passages of play, sessions, and sometimes whole days where they were where they were stronger. But I mean, you look at. Headingly, the Headingley test, they weren't ahead at any point in that game until Ben Stokes hit yeah, that winning yeah. run. And there, was a number of t- there were a number of times where they could have lost it. You know, the Leach run out that wasn't. Uh, had Australia not wasted that review, uh, had Kumar had Domasena... Um, it wasn't Kumar Domasena, was it? It was Joel Wilson uh, in the third test who um, didn't give that LBW decision. Maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't. We're still debating that to this day. Uh, there were there were times when Joffrey Archer at Lords in particular, and and a couple of times at the Oval as well, was basically unplayable. Stuart Broad was unplayable through the whole whole series. But then you look at it, and Australia, um, without their openers providing any kind of uh, any kind of support for them at any point, um, they they weren't able to make any impact on the series. Any of the three, um, they were still able. To put themselves into a position where they'd uh, they were two one up with a test to go, and you know if we're you know fetishizing that tiny urn, retain the ashes. Uh, that's that's a pretty big. Uh, it speaks very well, I think, of those players who did perform that they were able to do so. Uh, that Australia were able to do so without a fairly significant part of their team contributing anything. Well, that was the thing. I think England had more contributions. I think probably, and I think that's where. I mean, we look at Australia and we think their bowling unit, uh, uh, we talked about this yesterday on air, I think their bowling unit, the one thing they had better than us was their first change. I think if you, uh, you know, the opening uh, partnerships on both sides once Joffre came in, with four top wicket takers uh, in the series. Joffre had the best art, uh, average, although that might have all by the end um, of yesterday when we were looking certainly half through the afternoon, he was marginally better than Cummins, although Cummins took more wickets, played one more test. You know, so, uh, but the change bowling, um, up until that last test when Siddle wasn't really effective, they'd had Siddle who had been effective, they'd had Pattinson and they had Stark, and they were markedly better. The Wokes was a bit down on this series. They never picked Curran, which, you know, arguably he should have come in in the last test instead of Overton because he was the man in the squad, and that was a weird pick. Um, but generally, our first change bowler wasn't as good. But when you look at the batting, actually, we've got more scores out of our openers. We've got more, uh, although Smith and Labby Shane were outstanding for um, Australia. And there was 200 from Wade's one at bookending the series. We won in the first test and one in the last. There wasn't a lot else that came out of Australia's batting lineup, to be fair. And so in the round, I think England batted better throughout the tournament. And Australia probably bowled better. Exactly. I just wonder whether these are two teams who are so... You know, evenly matched in a way that you know, rather than making each other look good, they make, make each other look bad. So you know, if England had been playing someone else, would their you know the uh, Roy and whoever been quite as shit as they were? Possibly not. And you know, I think you know we're, we're focusing already. We've got down to focusing on very small moments and you know very fine questions. And I think that's just a product of how evenly these two teams are matched. Which is weird, given the general tone of certainly the English press through 
large parts of the series in that it veered from catastrophic England can't bat, tear it all up, sack everybody to wildly triumphant Stokes is going to score all the runs, take all the wickets, uh, break players' arms left, right and centre and will sort of stride through the floodwaters carrying the rest of the team on his shoulders. That's just the the media nowadays, isn't it? We live in the Twitter generation. Everyone has an instant opinion and you want instant answers. This is the written press I'm talking about. These are people who've been watching cricket and covering cricket for 30, 40 years. I know, but they're under pressure to stay relevant and and have sound bites, aren't they? And, you know... it's, 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 it's the nature of the media nowadays that you know everything has to be sensationalised. It's all you know, like uh, have you ever seen the the, the Mitchell and Webb football? Football yes, is yes. here now. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, you know, cricket's going. The that giants way. of Australia meet the titans <laughs> of England, making both look normal size. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, we live in an age of hyperbole, and um, you know, every game is you know the game to end all games. Well, I mean, recency bias has been a thing in in the media for a very very long time because um obviously and it's partly a condition it's partly a consequence of match reports being written sort of the cricketing equivalent of on the whistle yeah, kind of if you've yeah. got whatever is in your head uh whatever has just happened kind of right at the front of your head and that's what comes out um but uh, yeah it's interesting that but we're talking very now as you say about very fine margins we're talking mm. about uh, you know, little decisions here and there. Someone not catching a ball here. Someone a ball pitching six inches further exactly uh, towards know. leg or away from leg stump than than not. And it's weird we apply that to certain situations. Like if it, if oh if that had hit him, you know, two inches to the left. It's also yeah, if he did it two feet to the right, it would have been caught. You know, but you never think of that because it didn't happen. You know, it's it's how you. Yeah, it's not just recency bias. It's you know going to. Uh, the the decisions that or the the moments that make the most difference in a very you know, binary and way. there were other moments in during the just just the Stokes run chase I mean it kind of it's more obvious because of the fine margins that we go to those moments but had Marcus Harris been able to make up another yard running in for well, that exactly, catch yeah, from yeah. deep from third yeah, man yeah. Um, England wouldn't have got that close exactly but he didn't so <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly, precisely yeah, yeah. precisely you know in the same way that um, you know if Simon Jones had been um, a little bit for a little bit more able to yeah. uh, to cling on uh, Edgbaston in 2005. I know England won that Test match, but it would have been a lot less, a lot, yeah. lot more comfortable. Um, but you know, talk about the fine margins. And yes, England have the second and third highest run scorers uh, of the series. They have uh, 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 better contributions from both of the openers, which is incredible given the uh, given all of the discourse around England's opening batsmen for a number of years. Uh, but Stephen Peter Devereux Smith. Uh, 774 runs compared to the next best uh, 441 averaging 110.57 the next best uh, 55 uh, that through Ben Stokes with two unbeaten hundreds not to root maths this but uh, mm-hmm. the, the, that point has to be taken into account only minus have a shane of the others uh, averaged uh, over 50 I've seen batters dominate bowling attacks we've all seen that we've seen it through a, we've seen them do batters do that through series we've seen the batters do that through a whole year uh, for example, I don't think I've ever seen a batter dominate other batsmen in a series so much as Smith has in this series. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at Smith and he, I mean, he's not the prettiest to watch. He's clearly got amazing hand-eye coordination and even getting pinged on the head halfway through, as you say, he ends up with an average of 115. I mean, what more can you say about him? He's, he's a freak. Uh, in the current times, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, clearly, going back to what we were saying just now about you know matches being you know, you know the biggest match ever, you know, you'll need to look watch a couple more series from now with Smith in to work out whether this is the purplest of purple patches or whether this is you know, you know he's the 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 self-anointed heir of Bradman, not self-anointed, just the heir of Bradman, anointed by the media, uh, and you know, we, we, there's a rush to crown him. But on the base one goes, yes, he's had been phenomenal statistically, objectively, subjectively. Um, but, you know, if he bats in the same way on a different pitch in a different country, gets a different attack, who's to say that hand-eye coordination might be two inches off and he'll get, he'll snick off early. And he'll, and he'll miss slightly more straight balls than he does, which is exactly. basically one through the or two really through the whole series. But one of them not quite doesn't count, but one of them has this asterisk of him being concussed and definitely shouldn't have been out there uh, yeah, uh, when he came yeah, back yeah. At, when he came back at Lords. Uh, but one failure in the series only once uh, dismissed for under eighty that in the in the second innings of the uh, of the final test match, three hundreds and three fifties. Uh, as you say, Ben Stokes uh, and Matthew Way, the only other two uh, to uh, to score more than one uh, hundred and the only other hundred was scored uh, by an Englishman Rory Burns. Um, I think uh, Wade and Burns have both probably have both come out of this uh, series with enhanced reputations. Yeah, for me, Wade definitely. I mean, I didn't really rate Wade coming into this series at all. I thought Kawaja was unlucky to get dropped when he did, and I thought that should have been between Wade and um, Head. Uh, I think Head uh, then fell away, and Wade was the obvious person to come in. But yeah, he's back quite punchily throughout the season. He's got a lot of words for people, which is quite enjoyable to watch. Um, yeah, it's, for me, it's pleasing to see Burns you know, get get a, a good run and, and get some runs. Um, not just because I'm sorry for him, but because you know it it, it it mitigates against this you know short-term selectionism and uh, you know do you ditch people if they're doing poorly? And you know he, uh, I'm glad that people or the selectors looked at the na- the way in which he made runs in Sri Lanka, uh, rather than the volume. You know he he knuckled down, he was gritty. And he, he got another go where perhaps in the past players wouldn't have got that, that luxury. Uh, we'll talk about that actually when we come on to, to Trevor Bayliss and his, and his legacy. But I think that is something England have done a lot better in the last probably 10 years or more actually than, uh, than they have done through, um, through the 90s, which I well, think yeah. still dominates a lot of people's thinking about, yeah, about, yeah. England, about England selectors. Um, you know, as I've called it, the generational trauma of, uh, <laughs> of uh, the mid-90s uh, and England. Um, but yes, Roy Burns uh, seems to have established himself uh, at the top of the order. Um, obviously, still question marks about uh, who bats where in the, rest of the, in the rest of the England order. I, this is not an England dissection podcast. There's too many of those out there. Mm. Uh, they're all talking about the same thing. We don't need to do that again. And also, we've been talking about it sol- almost solidly for six weeks. <laughs> uh, but for Australia, um, you talked about Usman Kawaja. Uh, being left out, um, there's a pretty heavy argument to, to to say now, and you know the hindsight and all that. But um, perhaps Usman Kawaja was unlucky to be left out, not in favour of Matthew Wade, but in favour of Marcus Harris. Yeah, they could have pushed him out to open. Uh, I just thought it was an odd, it was an odd drop of Kawaja at that point in the season. He certainly hadn't been uh, at that part in the series. Sorry, he certainly hadn't been the worst. Uh, he was cut. You know, he had that horrible thing where you know the Vince problem where you get into the mid-twenties and then get getting himself out mm. but he averages what 45 50 odd in, in test cricket uh, 
and I think they should have stuck with him more. I think the other two weren't so secure in their places. They could have even dropped him down the order, but he had a proven record, and he'd done it abroad, and he recently got them out of trouble in the UAE, etc., etc., etc. I think uh, he had more right to feel hard done by than either of the other two. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I think there's two potential reasons. Um, one, um, perhaps if this wasn't an Ashes series, it, uh, he might not have got the chop. You know, the Ashes, Ashes focuses the mind and the stakes just that little bit higher than perhaps any other series involving Australia. Um, but also, I mean, you know, there might be something behind the scenes that we can't see. I wouldn't be surprised if he was absolutely knackered and that they just saw that, you know, maybe he'd been over overperformed to get the 20s or maybe that tiredness was kicking in when he got into the 20s and just couldn't go on and they thought, OK, well, it's not that he can't make the big scores from a technique point of view, it's just that he's out of steam. This one, Kawaja scores in the series 13 and 40 at Edgbaston, 36 and 2 at Lords, 8 and 23. So, two starts and a half start in the series, kind of two starts uh, in both the first two test matches and a half start at Leeds, where he uh, batted for, uh, and, you know, batted for a, a, not a terribly uh, long period of time. But that, that record is not certainly in the context of how much the top orders of both teams struggled, probably until the Oval. Um, in, in England's case, certainly. I mean, Australia's uh, open has struggled throughout the whole series. This is the the worst averaging opening partnership they've ever had in a series, uh, which is quite extraordinary. Uh, but that that's that's it's not a good record in what we might call normal Test cricket terms. But as you say, he does have a, a record eight Test hundreds, an average of forty point six six, and some recent um, indications that. Uh, he isn't just an Australian uh, flat track bully. Well, not a flat track bully, but someone who can uh, someone who can only perform uh, in in certain conditions. Maybe I can understand them wanting to give Marcus Harris another go. He uh, Marcus Harris has impressed at times, and certainly he looks like a very solid player. And he, he he looked at times very solid when Australia were up against that excellent Indian attack at home. But overall, he averages twenty four. Point oh six and has uh, in Test cricket and has two Test fifties and seventeen innings. Mm. Uh, yeah, see that's the thing with Marcus Harris. The only time I'd ever actually seen him was against India, um, and he got a, a big ton against India. He's never scored a Test hundred, hasn't he? No. Who did I see? Who, who's the other opener who scored? Joe a, Burns. Joe Burns. Joe Burns scored one hundred and eighty in uh, yes. Australia's uh, last Test match before. Uh, the Ashes series and you know talk about players becoming a better player when they're not playing I think Joe Burns can certainly say that probably Curtis Patterson as well uh, in the middle order uh, who has statistically the highest test average of all time uh, although has only played <laughs> a handful of uh, one or two test matches and, uh, Matt, and Matt Renshaw who he? Yeah quite I mean Matt Renshaw I think was harsh to, was unlucky to get dropped by yeah, yeah. Australia when he did again hasn't got the biggest uh, the biggest um, scores the, the, the best record in, in test cricket uh, but again sort of meets the eye test in terms of being well this uh, is it I mean, a, a solid organized looking player but then i'd have said the same about marcus harris before this series well that, i mean this is it you can only go on what you've seen and when i saw marcus venture uh he was scoring runs in india and he looked really good and that was probably what two years ago no? matt renshaw that was the series was in 2017 mm-hmm. well there you go so it was two years ago that but that's my only when i think of australian i think oh he looked good but you know people go out of form yeah, yeah, yeah so and just have long lists and short memories. Or, yeah, Renshaw doesn't have uh, the the Sheffield Shield numbers that some of the other guys have. Harrison Burns mm. have, and he's done well enough for Somerset in the time that he's been playing 
in in county cricket. Um, I particularly remember 100 that he scored against Yorkshire before lunch. But again, that's because I watched the live stream, exactly. uh, and yeah, yeah. we. You know, just because just because one of us saw a game doesn't mean that it matters more than any of the other games that we haven't seen. No, I mean, I guess that yeah. the selector's point is they have to go and watch these places before the series is on and know, yeah. and, and feel what form they're in. I guess we don't get to see that. Well, so. do they? Because Bayless, said, I saw Bayless said the other day that he hadn't seen Pope bat, uh, even though Oli Pope played two Test matches. Exactly. Last yeah. <laughs> I just presume he had his eyes closed, like everyone else. But yeah, I mean, well, again, we'll 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 save the Bayless chat for for a little yeah. bit later, and we'll save England's. Um, sort of future chat for a little bit later but I do want to talk about um, uh, Australia controversially given that they actually played in this series um, which which some pe- parts of the press seem to have forgotten <laughs> a little bit um, uh, but uh, I thought I saw Justin Langer saying this morning that you know Australia aren't yet a great team but they are a good team with some very good players and have ambitions towards becoming a great team the components are there for this to become a another very good Australian team They've got the same problem as us, haven't they? There's lots of holes in the batting order and a really good bowling attack. Um, but that's half the side. Uh, if you take Smith and... I mean, Larry Shane wasn't a, uh, should be a shoe-in for the next you know, team that they select. Um, but they've got problems everywhere. Well, he probably gets to keep his space. But is he a great? No, not really. Uh, I mean, you think of great batting lineups. They batted and had averages in the high 40s and 50s from 1 to 6. You know, that batting order doesn't. Ours doesn't. There aren't many in the world that do. And I think we live in, yeah. a, we live in an era now of uh, currently uh, it's flipped. You think 10, 15 years ago there were a lot of good batting sides in the world and, and, yeah. and the bowling was quite weak. It's flipped around now. You know, even India got quality pace attack, which, you know, until yeah. <laughs> I mean, 5, 6 years ago, you, you know, couldn't really, it hadn't really happened for a long time, you know. So, ever. Exactly. Um, so now England have got a great bowling attack. Uh, Australia got a great bowling attack. India got a great bowling attack. And uh, South Africa's not bad. I mean, it's got bits and pieces, but uh, it's getting there. Uh, New Zealand have an excellent attack. Pakistan yeah, exactly. have a good attack. The West Indies have a good attack. Mm. Uh, even Sri Lanka, where they, can get, where they can get their bowlers fit enough, have a good attack. Yeah. So, you know, but batting around the world seems to come harder. And yeah. this goes into that whole thing that endlessly gets debated about white ball cricket, test teams. Do they go too hard at the ball? They're always trying to score. Don't you used to do that in my day. They used to, you know, scores of two and over, whereas now it's three and a half, four and over. I prefer it as it is now. And I like it that bowlers kind of have the, the wood on the bats when it makes games move along. I don't like watching really long, turgid days of cricket where not a lot of runs mm. scored. And I mean, it can be quite interesting, but and I don't mind the odd day of it. But uh, I watch a lot of cricket, and I want it to be moving all the time. I live in a now, you know. <laughs> it, it is interesting actually because I've said this about one day batting, but I think it's also true of possibly even more so of of Test batting is that the art of good batting is to take the jeopardy out of a situation. Well, it's the leave, mm. isn't it? Well, it's not <laughs> even about that. It's about you know. People say that they used to find Sachin Tendulkar boring because of his ability to to make it look like he was never going to get out. Yeah, I have. and Steve Smith certainly does. Steve that. Smith absolutely falls into that category. Just runs runs happen while he's at the crease. It's it's exactly, you don't you don't have to sap bowlers' energy. You have to sap their will. Yes, and that's what the greatest batsmen are good at doing. And and Smith has this ability to. Um, I think this was most obvious in the second innings at Old Trafford, make bowlers completely forget whatever it was they were trying to do to begin with. They stopped trying to get him out. And once you stop trying to get someone out, mm. as a batter, once a bowling team has stopped trying to get you out, you've won. Yeah. 
Well, you're going to get, you're, yeah, you're not really going to get troubled that much. And he's got such a good eye. I mean, the, the thing when you look at him is he's got so much goddamn time. As soon as the ball's released, he's in position, you know. It may not look right, and he may be square on like he's playing French cricket. But, but there's obviously there. something to it because yeah, yeah, totally. he's always yeah. in the—he's almost always in the correct position at release and upon him. Exactly, right. you know, it doesn't—you know—he's like Jim Furyk in golf. It doesn't matter what you do before you make contact with the ball, as long as at the point of contact, it's it, hitting the right part of the back club, whatever, and in hitting right it in direction. the right direction. It, that's it. You know, you can do whatever you like. You can do three pirouettes, do a, 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 a river dance, and then hit the ball but, if you like. But. And the thing that makes you better able to do that is the fact that your eyes are level and your head's in the right position. You know, I think that a lot of coaches um, have got it wrong, the wrong way around, and this is starting to come into coaching a little bit, is that, you know, we're, we're always talking about the feet, the feet, the feet. Mm. The feet aren't as important as the head. Yeah, yeah. It's about the, ho- the whole point of moving your feet is to be able to get your head into the right position that you can line the ball up, you can watch it all the way, and you can watch it onto the middle of your bat, which enables you to better and more consistently hit the ball where you want to hit the ball. Exactly. I think we used to see this with bowling, where for, for, for quite a few years until recently, you know, um, coaches trying to coach anomalies out of bowling actions, um, whereas you know, not willing to let... The, the quirks come in because once you start doing that a it destroys a player's rhythm and b get, you know it makes their body move in ways that they don't want to and that's sort of stopped now you know i think people have you know just trying to cut out the things that really cause stress but not trying to you know they don't mind if the arm comes over you know a bit wider yeah. you know they wouldn't try and coach a malinga out of being a malinga now or a jimmy out of being a jimmy which exactly. is the, which well, is the, yeah, well, the you know, yeah, no. i don't i'm not sure they've realized that with batting yet no, I don't think they have. I mean, I, I was lucky to have a pretty good um, first coach. Fat Lord did a good me. Uh, Fat Lord good at did me as a batter, but you know, my first coaching session was with Mark Robinson, who's the recently retired, mm. um, released um, England women's coach, a very successful coach. And he was, you know, the first thing he ever said to me was, you know, your head is the heaviest part of your body. Let your head lead, and your foot will follow. Yeah. And for some places, you know, it follows to a greater or lesser extent, but. The head position is absolutely the most important thing, and Steve Smith is absolutely perfect almost all of the time. Yeah, mm. true. Yeah. Right above the ball. Except when it's getting rattled by Joffrey Archer. Well, quite, yeah. <laughs> and, hey. you know, we can come on to... Um, well, we we won't talk about concussion substitutes in quite as much detail because we've done that on a couple of different podcasts. And, mm. uh, you know, concussion substitutes, absolutely uh, a correct thing, uh, a good thing for, for test cricket. Possibly they haven't gone far enough. But uh, Joffrey Archer... Uh, two sixers now in, in seven test innings uh, ended the series uh, with uh, 22 wickets at an average of 20.27 uh, and uh, an economy rate of 2.85 um, an absolute not a fine you know but he's a you know a, almost a three year overnight success if you look at his county career but um, you know looks like he's going to be a future in a fixture rather in all England formats for years to come. Yes, and I'll have to, you know, they've got to be careful with that. I mean, you, you don't want to wear him out too quickly. He's got to be looked after. Uh, he did have injuries in the World Cup. Uh, he looks like a strong fellow, but um, if you're playing too much and the stresses and strains of fast bowling can really bugger up the body. I mean, look at Cummins for crying out now, six, yeah. six years of his test career. So they have to be careful with him, but boy, is he a find. You know? <laughs> I mean, he is what we've been crying out for. 
He's and ex- it just looks yeah. so easy. He's an art, you know, we talk about Smith's batting head always in the right position. He makes it look so easy. Exactly. He's exciting as well, which yeah. is great for, you know, fans, new fans, getting new people into the game. You know, you know, finding another Glenn McGraw would have been great, but he's dull. But so this is, you know, this is a, a super speed. He's bowling at 95 effing miles an hour yesterday. But even when he's bad. not bowling at 95 miles an hour, he rarely drops below about 86. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, you know, that's... And I thought his spell at Headingley was... Uh, really interesting because he was deliberately not pushing those mm. bounds of pace because he didn't need to. He was concentrating on accuracy and craft and having the seam position come, having the seam come out upright with his wrist behind the ball because movement was more important yeah. on that wicket than raw pace exactly. might have been on the on a Lord's pitch that was did more than we've seen a lot for a lot of Lord's pitches, but the base of a Lord's pitch is quite flat. Mm. Exactly. I mean, yeah. As, as uh, what he wants really is not so much batsmen being have, receiving fast balls. It's thinking they're going to receive fast balls, and you know, getting them into a mindset, uh, and you know, bowling slightly differently to what they think they're going to get. So if the batsman thinks, um, you know, oh, he's going to hit me with pace, but it's only start swinging it. You know, that's a completely different technique and kettle of fish. For sure, and it it can introduce an element of hesitancy yeah, uh, which uh, can be fatal when you're playing yeah, when you're trying to play the and moving ball and and when you're trying to play either an aggressive sh- an attacking or even a, even a defensive shot yeah. sometimes um, kind of on the line of off stump if you're not fully committed to going forward or back you're caught on the crease you're hesitant uh, it can get you into huge amounts of trouble. Like, it's, like, it's like, you know, facing Joffrey Archer, I imagine, is, you know, like watching a horror movie. It's not actually the scary bits that are the worst thing. It's the expected, the scary bits, and knowing that it's going to come at some point, and you never know. Yeah, absolutely. And his ability to uh, to maintain pace over long spells, one of the most impressive things about Pat Cummins, also the fact that his, his pace just didn't drop throughout a spell. Uh, uh, and you could never quite tell with Cummins or Archer whether they were at the start or end of a spell. Yeah, uh, rarely did Cummins drop below sort of 85 miles an hour. I saw him a couple of times going below that. But, I mean, he's a workhorse. I mean, he's gone through the entire World Cup, played every single World Cup game, every test, been led the bowling attack from the front. Uh, I guess he's making up for lost time, and I bet he's yeah. enjoying it as well, to be fair. Uh, and good on him, you know. He's the world's, uh, there's a reason he's world number one bowler, and that's because... Precisely that he puts on a spot almost all the time, nags on that length, gets the ball to do enough, and and at good pace. I think Hazelwood's very similar. Um, I thought he'll be challenging him possibly for the number one spot as well. I mean, they're very similar bowlers at very similar paces. Uh, maybe Cummins hits the deck a bit harder, but uh, they both get movement at, at decent lick. Yeah, so I mean, they'll always be tr- yeah, and That's why they were the you know the top opening partnership for the series. Yeah, I I, uh, Cummins is is a testament to getting just enough movement. Yeah, he he doesn't move the ball that much. And Crickviz, I did something before the start of the series that of all of the uh, all of the bowlers who taken a certain number of wickets, uh, he moves the ball least, but he moves the ball enough from exactly the right area. You know, you talked about Glenn McGrath. You know, the bowler that Pat Cummins reminds me of most is Ryan Harris, because Mm. not only is he quick, not only is he accurate. But he can be both of those things for a very long time, and he can also bowl unplayable deliveries. Yeah. That's incredibly rare. Like Mitchell Stark can bowl unplayable deliveries, but in between them, there'll be some stuff that is that is easy yeah. to leave or uh, can allow runs to be scored. Um, but uh, that's just not the case uh, with Cummins. He had an uh, economy rate of two point six nine, which is 
yes, it is the best for any bowler uh, who took a wicket in the series. Wow. What was uh, Hazelwood's? Hazelwood's economy rate was 2.7. Well, there you go. So almost <laughs> yeah, identical. Well, and how many wickets did he take? What was his average? Uh, 20 at uh, 21.85. Cummins 29 at 19.60. Obviously, uh, two more innings. And uh, Cummins at a strike rate of 43.6, which is, uh, what, that's a wicket every seven and a bit overs. Yeah. Mm. And Hazelwood at 48.4. So uh, one more over. Yeah. Yeah. And Hazelwood, you know, we know that he does move the ball a little bit more. He's yeah. a little bit, he sort of kisses the deck a little bit more. Yeah. Um, doesn't have that ability that Cummins has to bang the ball in short and keep batsman on the back foot because he's not as strongly built. But again, um, you look at the release of Cummins and Hazelwood, the ball comes out with the seam absolutely deadly yeah. bolt mm. upright. Um, I thought the spell <laughs> that those two bowled, was it late on day two at Old Trafford I think where Cummins bowled 10 overs in a row because he was only 22 runs hit root in the box hit root on the forearm should have had him out at least uh, a couple of times it was is one of the best unplayable spells that we've ever seen I think Crickviz actually uh, again uh, they have a, a thing called expected wicket probability and it is the highest one for a wicketless spell that they've ever recorded going back to 2006 wow. And then Pat Josh Hazelwood comes in and takes three wickets, uh, just building on the work that Cummins had uh, had had started. Well, that's bowlers bowling in town. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's just that, that is what Australia. That is what won Australia the series as well as Smith. It's those mm. two things. It's the fact they that they didn't England, win the series. Now win the series. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> it's what that's true. Yes, of course. It it's what. It's what had them up in the series up until yeah. Old Trafford. It's what retained them the urn. Uh, it's what had them ahead for most of the series. Yeah, um, that. Ability to be consistently excellent and giving the batters no let up. Yeah. Uh, and um, also a shout out for uh, for Nathan Lyon, who did come to the party uh, in the uh, the latter half of the series. Well, kind of bookend of the series. He ends up with 20 uh, wickets at 33.4, which is not too dissimilar from his overall career average. His strike rate is, uh, is worse than most of the others. He bowled more overs than anyone else in the series um, I don't know how much more we need to say really about Nathan Lyon other than um, he's good consistently yeah. excellent I thought he had quite some periods of ineffectiveness that I wouldn't have expected him to have you know, I thought he was unlucky at times I mean there was, there was uh, it might have been when Stokes ended up winning the game I think he was beating the bat a lot there mm. he certainly beat the bat of Burns a lot when he was uh, uh, batting he bowled well to the left-handers, and he got a few right-handers out. So, uh, 20 wickets uh, for a spinner in England. It's pretty good. In, going, a, in a very heavily yeah. seamer-dominated mm-hmm. series. I think it's pretty good. Um, I like him. I think he's a great spin bowler. Uh, and the, uh, one thing about spin bowlers is they, once they get a, uh, it's almost once they get a reputation that enhances them a little bit. And I think he's got that reputation now. But it took it took a it, long it took time. Took a long time for to get it the perception of him to catch up with the reality. Yes, well, that was that was to his favour, but now it, I think it enhances him even more, you know. You know oh, get, sure. It, it, gets a spin him, it with probably an gets him three, four, five wickets a series. A spin you know? bowler with an aura is a yeah, really dangerous thing. Yeah, absolutely, precisely. Um, having, it's interesting with Lyon, because he's he got a lot of wickets, I think, early in his career through people not respecting him enough and thinking, <laughs> I can smash him out of the attack. No, you well, can't. I, I, no, you I, can't. Well, exactly. I mean, I remember when he first started playing, we all thought he was shit. <laughs> and then actually he hangs about, hangs about, and you know he builds up a reputation, and and now you have to, ch- <coughs> sorry, change your view on that. You know, mm-hmm. 
um, and uh, a word for Jack Leach as well, the spin, uh, England's uh, spinner coming into the team for Marinelli. 12 wickets in seven innings, an average of 25.83. Uh, um, I hope Moan will be back. We all hope Moan will be back here on Kurula Cricket. Um, I think he's a huge asset to a, to a team, both on and off the field with bat and ball, but uh, probably he needed to be left out for his own good, and he, and he, as much, he admitted that, and... England didn't lose anything with the ball with Leach coming in. No, no, they didn't. Leach is a pretty good bowler. Uh, maybe a little bit inconsistent with his length, particularly, I think. Um, but he's only played, what, seven test matches now in total? He played the whole of Sri Lanka yeah. and three here, six, maybe. Yeah, I think, um, I think he'll Mo- learn. Yeah, I think Moen will be back. Um, I am slightly disappointed that you know the, the, the winter tour is to New Zealand, where we perhaps won't be employing the two spinners on a regular basis um, uh, and then South Africa I, w- I would imagine yeah. England will take two spinners yes and yeah, so, but, uh, but won't play to the same sure. you know what, what well, Moe needs is a, ni- a nice tour to Bangladesh or something well, like yeah. well England's next tour after South Africa is Sri Lanka wow. where you may see the three spinners operating in tandem uh, as we did uh, as England did last time that they were in Sri Lanka and won the series uh, 3-0 I think Leach Moen and Adil Rashid all took fifers yep, in, in, in that series yeah Jack Leach uh, 9 wickets 32 wickets at uh, uh, 26.06 in uh, those uh, those 9 test matches with one uh, fifer um, certainly um, someone who looks to be a good long term prospect uh, for England um, and so, he can bat and he can he can <laughs> certainly be relied <laughs> upon with can. the bat he can certainly, he can be, certainly be relied upon, upon. Yeah. Um so, looking ahead for Australia, they need to work out who their opening partnership mm. uh, will be. Do they do they persist with David Warner? Probably, but how long can that? How long can uh, a record out uh, outweigh form? Well, he needs a series at home, doesn't he? And scoring yeah. shitloads of runs, and then uh, everyone will forget about a bad series he had here, and he'll feel he's confident back in the side. So, uh, where's their next series? They're at home, aren't they? Against New Zealand. Australia have got Pakistan and New Zealand uh, right. this this winter in Test cricket. They've got a T20 series uh, in Bangladesh uh, before that. Oh, so, uh, sorry, would you say a T20 series? They've got a T20 series against Bangladesh in Bangladesh before, uh, and then their home uh, summer is against Pakistan and New Zealand. Yeah. Well, I might as well go to the T20s, bash it around a bit. No one cares in a T20 anyway, and then they'll hope that he, they'll they'll probably keep him in. Um, based on record, he should get a home series. One would have thought, uh, and if he scores runs there, everything's back on track. Tickety boo, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think just take one or two good scores, and that's you know record erased. Oh, uh, you know the, the the memory of this series gone. Really, um, it would be a problem if he continues to score low. And I, I do think he's got a lot of credit in the bank, but I just suppose it depends. You know how how big the balls on this Australian selectors are. Well, I mean, he does have credit in the bank in terms of his his record. You know, his record is is excellent um, in in, mm. in Test cricket long term, but he has also made enemies at Cricket Australia, so uh, that's true. Uh, yeah. which may make him vulnerable, more vulnerable than perhaps a player of his record should be. But one would imagine that Joe Burns will get another go, um, and if he scores at the uh, at the rate he has been scoring at, and let's say he has a good Sheffield Shield season, uh, then that problem seems to be sorted. Lavashane and Smith look a lock at three and four. Yeah, Matthew yeah. Wade certainly I think will get a go at six uh, for a while. There's a question at number five perhaps with um, Travis Head's had his comfortably his worst series in test cricket and there are 
talented players like Curtis Patterson and perhaps Will Pekowski, who I think is probably a little bit, uh, perhaps a series or two, a year or two too early, but mm. is certainly someone they look at uh, in, in Australia um, with very fondly. Uh, Tim Payne is in an interesting position because yeah. a lot of people have, uh, have looked at his record and you know his, his, the fact that he hasn't scored a first-class 100 since uh, 2007. He's never scored a Test 100. Uh, he's only scored one, only got one score of note in, uh, in this Test series. Um, his glove work is odd because he's generally a very good keeper, but he has moments where his feet just don't move and he ends up uh, sort of lunging at the ball um, and dropping catches that he should take. But, and, you know, reviews make you a very easy target for, for players, as Shane Watson found to his cost. Uh, <laughs> not for players, sorry, for, for fans and for, uh, and for commentators. Uh, but I think as a leader and as, a, as an on-field captain... I think Australia could do a hell of a lot worse and have done a lot, hell of a lot worse in the recent past. Yeah. Um, I mean, presuming that Smith doesn't get an immediate pass back in, it's it's hard to see who would replace him. Especially, you know, I mean, Kawaja would be, uh, given he captained the, just before he got dropped, captained that tour game. Um, he'd be a, a, a natural choice if you're in the side. But it's, it's hard to see who might, um, you know, take the... the the putative armband if, if pain was out well Steve Smith isn't allowed wouldn't be allowed to take over until next May anyway mm. and I never thought that Steve Smith was a very good captain yeah not a great <laughs> captain we had this discussion during the series captaincy in cricket I think it's when you've got good players on your side and senior players, it should be—it's almost done more by committee yeah. about who you trust, not necessarily who the individual person is. I personally, I think Australia—I agree with all the things you say, but if he's not pulling it, if there is a better keeper who bats better and gets more runs for the team's sake, I mean, this he's is it. If you've got senior yeah. pros, and at times Smith was probably telling Payne what to do or whatever throughout that series, and it doesn't really matter who the figurehead is. You're better off having a better keeper who gets you more runs than pain. It may be a bit harsh to say, considering he retained the ashes. But he's definitely a weak link in that side. Mm. He hasn't scored the runs with the bat. He no. has He has stuck around with Steve Smith, which has been an, which was actually a very important role for, for, Australia, for whichever Australian batter happened to find themselves batting with Steve Smith at various points through the series. He's, got, he's gutsy. Um, I do think his on-field captaincy is very proactive. Uh, he, he make, he's not afraid to make bowling changes quickly. Um, which he did uh, throughout the third, fourth and fifth uh, test matches when uh, he was trying to hold on to that win at Headingley, when he was pushing for victory uh, at Old Trafford and when he was trying to get Australia back into the game at the Oval. Uh, he he leads in a very calm manner. Uh, he isn't as demonstrably petulant as, as Steve Smith <laughs> was. And in terms of the off-field leadership, the sort of stuff we don't see, the soft skills, that the things which sort of keep a team going between test matches... Uh, there is a sense that this Australian team at least knows what it's trying to do and are able to to put that sort of ego-macho-driven way of how an Australian team should play behind them. Elite honesty. Well, not, not the elite <laughs> honesty stuff and not the nice Australia stuff and not the sort of we want to be like New Zealand stuff as though being like New Zealand is a bad thing. Mm. Uh, but they... You know, you look at this in the you look at it in the context of how they bowled through the series and how they selected their attack through the series. They it wasn't about coming in and showing showing you know big scary fast bowlers running in from the boundary boundaries edge and bowling bumpers every single ball. It was about consistency and it was about accuracy and it was about exploiting the conditions that happened to be in front of them. 
I think that's mu- maybe that's as much to do with Langer actually in the background. But the I two mean. have to work in. Yes, two have uh, to work together. Thought, but Langer was, you know, Langer's, uh, you know, better record, much more experience, played in a whole load of Ashes winning sides, knew what it took to win a series. Uh, he's come in and he's probably imposed a little bit on that. I think they definitely had tactics about who was going to bowl where because it was weird that Stark only bowled one match, but they clearly mm. thought that's the match he's going to play in. Um, uh, Pattinson in the beginning took him out because he's you know, injury prone. Da, 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 da. Siddle, uh, Siddle was the only one who didn't really work in the last test. And up until then, you'd think they got it absolutely 100% right throughout the series when they were making the decision between who was the opening pair and who was the spare one. And they gave them all a little bit of time off with the exceptions of Cummings. Yeah, Cummings bowled every single game in the World Cup and only Nathan Lyon bowled more was than yeah. him in the series because Pat Cummings couldn't do that because um, he's seemingly now indestructible. Mm. Um, you know, he obviously spent those six years building up his his fitness uh to a point where he can he can do that and you know um, the last thing i'll say about cummins is that you know this was very obvious in his first series back he came back in for the injured mitchell stark when in australia were in india in 2017 and his first game was in was in ranchi where australia bought ended up bowling 200 overs in 36 37 degree heat and pat cummins came through it incredibly strongly and you know that was a, a sign that you know if he can do that he can do anything from a physical fast bowler's point of view, um, I personally, I, for, I'm sceptical about Justin Langer. Um, Justin Langer has, in many of his public pronouncements, revealed himself to be the biggest baggy green cultist of them all. Oh yeah, in that <laughs> sense, I think he is. But I think he's got a good tactical brain. I don't like the man, I've got to say, yeah. but um, I do think he's got quite a good tactical brain. He really thought about how they were going to, you know, get this Ashes back. And I think both sides realised that the bowling attacks were better than the batting lineups. Um, that was, a, I think, that was a given before the the, the the series even started. So that was a question of right: have we got the better bowlers? How are we going to utilise them? And where can we best utilise them? Keep them fit and freshest at the best point. And England, unfortunately, I mean, this is the big thing. You know, the, the miss of Jimmy Anderson for England was huge. Oh, it's the great unknown. It's the great unknown, absolutely. You know, you'd think it had troubled Smith more than some of the others, especially with the swing that was around January yeah, in all absolutely. the games. You know, exception. But Old Trafford didn't really swing that much, which was kind of weird. Um, but everywhere else, uh, and the Oval, not so much as well. But uh, certainly, at points, you'd have thought it would have, have been a mighty tussle between those two, and whoever came out on top of it could have Yeah, we saw it. this battle for the ages at Edgbaston in the first test last summer where Anderson bowling to Virat Kohli, and as well as Virat Kohli played, and it was a brilliant innings of 149 at Edgbaston, but Got he needed dropped. every bit of his luck <laughs> and his skill uh, to get through Anderson. Uh, there's a great a video on YouTube of every ball that Anderson bowled to him in that first in that innings, and it's well worth a watch. It's absolutely glorious. Um, yeah, it is the great unknown, and you know, I suspect Anderson will go for a, certainly if he's fit, will go to New Zealand and South Africa, and probably and Sri Lanka. You might ro- see some rotation because they'll want to play all the, as many spinners as they can. Yeah. Um, and next summer, who knows? Um, Anderson surprised all of us with his ability to keep going physically. Well, he said he wants to be the Ryan Giggs, didn't he, of the England uh, cricket team? Well, I'm he's 40. 40. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah he needs to keep fit and pick his series, and it, it's possible. Uh, it really upset him to miss the Ashes. You know, realistically, it's his last home Ashes. He's not going to be around in five years' time, is he? And the chances are he's never going. He's not going to go to Australia. I mean, yeah. we talked a lot. I mean, he happened to be England's best bowler. Um, out in Australia last time but I remember having a discussion before that series and going Anderson should be the one who was dropped 
And he had partly had a good series out there because he just bowled really dry, so they couldn't really hit him. It wasn't, the, uh, but his pace never really troubled him, and there was never much movement. So. Anderson was very good in that series. The issue with that series is that Australia were able to play him out because he didn't have the backup, mm. because they weren't worried about any of the other bowlers. But he was also bowling really dry in that series. But he was bowling that because he had to, because he was the only bit of control that England had through the whole series. Yeah, true. In a glass half full kind of way, I wasn't. Yeah, you know, obviously, it's very disappointing to lose Jimmy for the whole series. But actually, I thought it gave us a really good opportunity to, you know, work out the succession plan. Because if he had been fit, and you you get to a point where maybe Broad and Anderson both call it a day at the same time, uh, Stuart Broad, Stuart Broad's three years younger than James True. Anderson. Yeah. But you know, equally, you know, if if they did for whatever reason, you know, maybe they both broke down at the same time. It's not inconceivable. You know, what do you do? You know, it's good to blood some people in. You know, the hottest heat of Test cricket, which is an Ashes series, before. Um, you know, uh, uh, no, I, I disagree. I don't moment. think you want to really be blooding people in mm. Ashes series. You want to be blooding them beforehand and, yeah. and have them ready for an Ashes series. It's the, it's the one thing I don't think. Well, really I mean, there's two ways to look at that. I mean, one, yes, obviously the media hype and the the attention on an Ashes series is much higher, but certainly in an England-based Ashes series, actually they're they're very friendly bowling conditions. So it's almost a bigger test of a fast bowler. I, a, in a way, Ashes series on, in Australia, but also somewhat bowling, let's say, in India uh, as a fast bowler, uh, being able to contribute to to, an Engl- to England's success in less SEMA-friendly conditions might actually be a bigger test, which actually England aren't going to get for a little while because New Zealand, they're not as, uh, they're not as bowler-friendly as they used to be, but those pitches still are. Uh, still do have a lot for seam yeah. bowlers and the South African pitches have been almost unplayable for batters at times yeah which is mm. going to be a fun series let's be honest that's going to be a goodie yeah I mean at New Zealand it'll be November it's just kind of mid early mid spring isn't it so I mean I imagine overheads will be very similar to England what balls do they use they use kookaburra out there as well I believe that the kookaburra is is mm. used in New Zealand it doesn't seem to stop Bolton Southey no, uh, swinging, swinging the ball yeah. Yeah. um yeah, Eng- England, by the way, are in danger of taking that series too lightly. And I think that's a good segue to come on to talking about England and where they go forward and, and assessing the legacy of, uh, of Trevor Bayliss. You know, he's been coach uh, since, since the 2015, since Ashley Giles got sad, sacked mid-match uh, in a one-day international against Ireland. And in, in Test cricket in the Trevor Bayliss uh, era, uh, won eight series, lost five series, drawn four series, won 27 Test lost 25 tests, drawn 7 tests. Uh, it's a weird one to assess for Trevor Bayliss in England in, in far as test cricket uh, goes. Um, of course, England have been a, a much better T20 side than in the immediate for the pre-Bayliss era, because obviously they did win the, 20, the T20 World Cup in 2010, but uh, England got to uh, the T20 uh, final, the the, the final of the World T20 in 2016 they only lost it through one of those um, sort, of, yeah. sort of freak innings that happens um, sometimes although yep. arguably they were lucky to get through that group stage because of a slightly freak innings from Joe Root um, well Root and Hales the, in, the, in the chase of 200 against so, uh, against ooh. South Africa um, yeah you can you can you can argue that either way uh, really I think uh but, you know, a good T20i team, one that has a pretty good record, and uh, obviously uh, won the uh, won the International uh, World Cup. I mean, in, in one international cricket, England have been dominant for the last four years, and actually probably in the last three years, the World Cup was them at their least dominant. Um, 
so in two of the three formats and in a competition that England never won and a format that England hadn't been good in for a very, very long time, um, he was an unqualified success. But England remain weird, frankly. They used they went through a period of being very good under Andy Flower, then went through a period of being of rebuilding, and are now just weird. Yeah, I think part of this the the, the calendar, lots of different formats jumping from one to the other. But everyone it, jumps from fo- different formats. Well, true, but I think uh, I'm, I'm, England play less T Twenty international cricket than most other countries. Yeah, true, but I, there's lots of other countries that I think are in the same position. Australia, for example, and um, I. So the way I look at it is, you know, just looking at it from start to beginning, are England significantly different to uh, when Bayless came in? And I'm not sure they are. You know, we've won the World Cup, but I largely put that down to the quality of players we have at our disposal. But the way I assess it is, has he made the most of the, the, the resources at his disposal? And I'm not sure he has. Even in one-day international cricket, because a lot of teams have very talented groups of players, but those players were identified and backed and given a clear plan. Um, and yes, in succession, in combination with Owen Morgan, mm. in combination with Andrew Strauss... Um, and you know, our England for a long time, you know, have wildly underperformed. And yeah, but we, yeah, but we, we uniquely at the moment have a blend of players who you can genuinely, generally say within that T uh, Twenty ODI and Test squad, we have gen- genuinely three or four all rounders, which makes uh, makes selections of teams quite weird in its own right. Because you can have things like seven actual frontline bowlers and eight batsmen who can get a ton and stuff like that. Which other team? I mean, it is a strange situation to be in. Are they world class in any of those particular disciplines? I don't know. But in one day cricket, it makes it very interesting and gives you a, an order amongst uh, amount of options that it's you can play with. It's interesting you say that because I, I probably agree with you. I don't think that Ben Stokes is a world class batter or a world class bowler, but he is the a world class all rounder. Really odd. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, exactly. That's what I mean. You know, you can fit two or three of those into a side, mm. as long as there are a couple of them on the day. Yeah, perform. and uh, you know, they're, they're good enough at their particular discipline. I mean, you say mm. Adam Rashid or um, you know, Moen's a, a case in point. I mean, is a world class batsman? No, he's a good batsman. He's a world class spin bowler. No, but one day he'll get you a fifer, and another day he'll get you a ton, and he probably won't do both in the same match. And Probably he won't get you a ton in test cricket that often, but he might get you useful runs yeah. Yeah. down the order. Um, and certainly he's got an ability to take uh, to take wickets in most conditions. Absolutely. And Arthur Rashid is probably the best leg spinner England have ever had. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, he's yeah. a man who's got what, 14 first-class centuries or something? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, in the, he has batted well at times yeah, in test exactly. cricket and been, been useful for England. And in white ball cricket, he's absolutely world-class yeah. uh, in, in his discipline. Yeah, certainly. Um and then you know some of the players who tried to make the transition from white ball cricket or to, to test cricket, Johnny Bairstow's had very good times in test cricket, going through a, not a very good one at the moment. Joss Butler's just coming out of a very poor time in test cricket. Not a very poor time, because I think he's actually done... He's actually been more useful to England, I think, than people have realised. You know, his, I've said a number of times, since he came back into test cricket in May 2018, only Virat Kohli has batted 100 balls in test cricket yeah. more than he has. And, you know... People have been people. People get confused as to whether you know on one day a 
people keep saying, people keep saying, we want people to stay there. We want people to stay there, and yet a third, a hundred ball thirty somehow isn't recognised. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really want to see Butler. I, I, Butler is a great player if you give him the gloves and you throw out the extra spot. Whether it's Johnny Bairstow and they keep him inside as a purely as a batsman, I think he's a better keeper than Johnny B. Uh, and he's an impact player at number seven, which gives you the option of having an extra yeah. batsman in the top and, six. And he's good with the tail. Yeah, and he's really good with the tail. Um, uh, so, so that suits him. I don't know if he warrants a place just as a batsman. I don't I don't know. I, I'm still out on that. I mean, I enjoy watching him play, but I do sometimes think he gives it away, you know. I, I think you could fit Butler into a team at six and folks with the gloves at seven, um, because it's inarguable that... While I think Butler is a better keeper than Johnny Bairstow, I think Folks is a is a is a better keeper than Butler by a much bigger margin. And Butler yeah. is a better keeper than Bairstow. Well, yeah. the, when we go to Sri Lanka, they might you know I imagine they're going to go down exactly the same form as they went last time, and they will take Folks, and they might well give him a go out there. Although apparently he's not been ba- he's not had a good time. No, about but I'm talk- we're talking with his glove with the gloves. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, in England, in English Test colours, he's done very well with the bat. He scored 100 in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Was the leading run scorer in the series. Yeah, man of the match on debut was it? Yeah, he was. Yeah, um, and it, uh, you know, in Test cricket, England, I think they started playing a very sort of aggressive form of form of Test cricket. You know, that series against New Zealand, the Ashes series in in twenty fifteen, where they either you know that was a weird series where England would either be brilliant or terrible, mm-hmm. um, off and away. Um, but yeah. England went through that. You know, the batting was sort of fine through the whole series. And then they would either be able to take wickets in clusters or not take a wicket for ages. Uh, It was the bowling that was the issue then. Went to South Africa and won in South Africa um, against a team with a lot of very good players, even if a team that wasn't necessarily playing at its best. Uh, And then sort of went through the period of uh, moderate success from, uh, from openers alongside Alistair Cook. You know, Nick Compton did quite well in... Uh, in patches and then was left out. Uh, Adam Live did quite well in patches, then was left out. Sam Robson, they didn't have another look at. He was bef- he was pre Bayless. Went through uh, trying to get through Ben Duckett, which is probably I think probably the <laughs> worst selection <laughs> that, that they that they made. Yeah. Hasib Hamid, uh, unlucky, unlucky injury, unlucky timing of his injury. Um, and you know, still remains the cricketer with the, uh, the opening batter with the most incredible goodwill surrounding mm. him for everyone, apparently except Paul Allett. Yeah, uh, and has now been released by 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 Lancashire, and you know has time to come again, but needs to come again uh, if he's going to get going to get back in the reckoning, even at 22 or however uh, young he is. And and the you end up now with it you end up with a situation where you look back on it and some of those openers were being judged against different standards than they are now yeah i mean the other problem with, with this is that with all the middle order shenanigans going on is the traditional route into the team at six has been taken away sort of you know you, you, you used to yeah, be the case that you'd the young player would bat at six and you know graduate up to the order but now you know it's you're opener fine there you go yeah, your 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 route in now is to be an opener. Yeah, uh, one, two, or three, basically. That's and what no, we're looking for. And I don't know whether <laughs> these young players need that bit of protection. You know, a few games at six. Well, that gives you Denley, doesn't it? 
A man with experience who yeah, yeah. must have booked his place on the next tour. There are, of all of the weird players in, in England's <laughs> test team, there is no one weirder for me than Joe Denley. Well, I think he's playing with a. He has to play with an air of freedom, doesn't yeah. he? He's got a lucky chance at the end of his career, and he's don't you know? Yeah, you know if it go falls away, oh well. And if you so grab it, you go. Well, that's his good, only chance. It? Isn't yeah. He's not going to get another one. So he's not going to get another one. You might as well try and grab it. And think, he, yeah, and go for it. Yeah. And in the series so far, in the series so far, in the Ashes, three hundred and twelve runs at thirty-one point two. In a series where the overall average well, yeah. average was just about thirty, three yeah. fifties, including very getting very close to a main test ton and a good innings. Yeah. Um, yes, yes, on a on a on a more batting friendly pitch than some, but, it, but the scores were not particularly high no. in, like that, said, in that fifth test. You see, I just wonder whether that and he made a material difference to an England. He's in fact twice made a material difference to an England win because his his fifty and his partnership with Joe Root at Headingley was yep. really important. Absolutely, yeah, I just wonder that night. I yeah. just wonder whether you know as good as he's been is that his ceiling. He's, you know, is he like a, a seventy year old oh. golfer who can quite happily poodle around the course with a handicap of eight, but he's never going to. He's a. Significant. He's a very consistent six and a half, pushing seven out of ten. Yeah. Every single. Well, you know, he's he's laid down his mark, and he's been, he's been worse than that at times in Test cricket. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. He's got himself on the tour. He didn't do too badly in uh, Sri Lanka last winter either. I think he deserves another West chance. West Indies. He didn't play in Sri Lanka. He debuted he? in the West Indies. Oh, he debuted in the West Indies. He didn't do too bad out there. He got, he he got his okay. high score before this. Which he did okay. Not great. Yeah. But um, I think he, you take him and uh, you look for other players. And I'm sure in a couple, if he manages to last a year or two, he'll be happy. And if someone takes it over from him, if they've been put in place by actually having some game, I mean, Joe Burns now looks set. Roy Burns. Roy Burns, sorry, Joe Burns, Jesus. Um, Roy Burns now looks set. Certainly he's booked his place too. So if those two can create a partnership for the next couple of years while we try and sort this mess out, and actually an heir apparent does become you know, clearly visible, then it's worked, hasn't it? Well, many people have already anointed the heir apparent. Dominic Sibley. Mm. Or Zach Crawley. Or Zach Crawley. I mean, Sibley obviously... Um, you know, five championship hundreds, um, I think in succession, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, right, at yeah. the start of the season, obviously in, in conditions that don't... Well, in conditions that shouldn't aid uh, heavy run scoring, but actually the start of the championship season was pretty run-soaked. It was, yeah. Um, but even so, the, you know, those are pretty difficult numbers to argue against. I With Joe Denley, I think that AN player with Joe Denley's runs in this series would probably be fine. Uh, would probably be someone who is on the tour, on the plane to New Zealand. Whether Joe Denley's on the plane to New Zealand is another question, and one mm. I I don't know the answer to. I don't see the point of taking him to New Zealand if he's not going to be in the starting eleven. I can see the argument for taking Denley, having Sibley in the squad in case someone gets injured or in case someone horribly loses form, just to give him experience around the team, and then you basically say to Sibley keep scoring and then put Sibley on a Lions tour that we can run in parallel when England are in South Africa well, yeah, I was and basically say uh, to Dom Sibley almost say, saying as soon as Joe Denley stops scoring runs you're getting picked uh, which may seem cruel it does seem a bit cruel yeah sport's cruel though isn't it, it harsh, is cruel. Harsh I'm sure he'd like to go on a tour I'm sure he'd like to play more um I mean, there's this whole thing about do England rest players when they go to New Zealand. Um, there are some players who I think no, deserve no, a break. 
Huh? Well, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, how long before, before the series starts? Uh, the, Eight weeks. The New Probably. Zealand series, let's just uh, have a look, but they, there has already been talk of, of rotation for the T20 series. There's talk that Root won't play the T20s. There's talk that Stokes won't play the T20s. There's talk that Butler might not play uh, the uh, the T20. So that, that opens up some opportunities there. Yeah, um, yeah. but the tests don't start till the middle of November, do they? Which is ten weeks away, probably. I, th- I think that's fair enough in the T Twenty stuff because you know you, you you know you've got a good side and you probably know pretty much what your strongest eleven is. Yeah, or, or mean, nine or ten. I mean, so you know, England do have to look ahead to that that World T yeah. Twenty in October, November, uh, two thousand and twenty. Exactly. Uh, but they will have a few opportunities and a few series before now, before between now and then to uh, yeah. to. To identify you first, you pick that sort of who, yeah, who that the, squad. The challenges are different. <laughs> T Twenty is about you know future planning. Uh, you know, Test cricket is about now planning. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the the first T Twenty starts on the first of November. Those run uh, through to the tenth of uh, of November, and then the uh, first Test match starts on the twenty first of November. There you go. So it's nearly what, two whole months away. I mean, I have to go out there early to acclimatise, but. <sighs> I give. Uh, mm. You could take Sibley out there, and you could have Denley out there. You know, he's a senior player almost. He's he's played an Ashes series. Um, Jimmy probably wants to get fit. Maybe wants to get fit before going to South Africa if he generally wants to play. Broad only plays Test matches, so he can go out there. So your bowling attack pretty much goes out. You could give Wokes a rest and take someone else out there. Mm. Archer. Will Stone be fit again? Uh, will, will Wood be fit again? Well, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, yeah. there would be two players to will take Roland out there Jones as well. Will Roland Jones be fit? Well, Roland Jones, I think, was a bit unlucky not to be selected in, in, in yeah. Craig yeah. Overton if they wanted to hit the deck bowler. Sam Curran, of course, who all came the, in. Or the other Overton. Well, Jamie. possibly, yeah. Um, Sam Curran, who came in and had a massive impact at the end of the uh, the end of this Ashes series and, you know, you know, probably be, again became a slightly better player through not playing the first four test matches. Um, so England do have options there. Um, I think to sum all this up, um, you know, what we can say is that um, England have found one opener. They still don't know where Joe Root's best position is. They still don't know where Ben Stokes' best position is. They still don't know who the wicketkeeper is going to should be. The bowling attack should be fine, whichever combination they come up with, but no one quite knows. And uh, whoever takes over from Trevor Bayliss in test cricket has uh, has a job on to I not so much make England better because England aren't bad but make England make sense that's the challenge for whoever takes over and we don't know who that's going to be we don't know uh, who whether they're going to be taking over just in test cricket or uh, or whether it's going to be a uh, an awful coach like Bayliss has been so we we come around full circle to where we were um, kind of at the start of this discussion in Australia have a pretty decent idea of where they're going England are already there in one day cricket and have to try and uh, try and keep the chasing pack away have a very good idea where they're going in T20 cricket but in test cricket many many more questions than answers uh, but it's been fascinating to watch those questions be played out uh, upon the playing field of England uh, over the last six weeks. That brings us to an end of the GC uh, podcast Ashes Review. Thank you to Tim Part and thank you to Nigel the Bear Walker for joining me. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you to producer John, uh, who does such a fine job uh, with this uh, podcast. Uh, remember, you can get the podcast on Patreon before anyone else, both this uh, show, uh, the Gorilla Cricket Podcast, and Gorilla Show. Uh, there's a couple of special editions of Gorilla Show out uh, right now. Uh, Tony talking to Mike Gatting and Angus Fraser. Uh, 
and uh, you can uh, listen on and subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Spotify and Podbean. Please do uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and give us a review as well and share the podcast. Uh, we will be doing a regular episode of uh, the Gorilla Cricket Podcast on Thursday and we'll be doing those through this little break in our schedules. Uh, so uh, your Gorilla Cricket fix uh, will be brought to you on a weekly basis. But uh, un- until then, thank you for uh, listening and uh, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.